Now, we are currently in a series on the book of Romans. It's not that we've never had sermons from the book of Romans before. We have. Uh, in fact, some years ago, we did a, a little, a pretty brief series on uh, some things near the end of the book of Romans. But we've never had this opportunity to start from the beginning, to look at the book as a whole in its entirety. And so we find ourselves uh, not only wanting to see each individual tree, but to keep in mind the forest as well and to remember the whole book of Romans anytime we look at one section of it. And today our section is chapter four. So let me pray again, ask for God's help, and then we'll read a bit more as we were doing earlier. So let's bow our heads, pray. Lord, help us to understand what you have given us as a gift in prayer. We may call it the power of prayer, although that is not the most accurate, Lord. It is, it is your power, not the power of something. But Lord, there is power in prayer as we pray to you, and so we seek you this morning. Lord, as a people, even right now, we would ask for your help that we would humble ourselves under you this morning. Help us. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Accomplish your work, Lord, we pray. Through Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would bless the reading of your word now. In his name, amen. Let's pick it up where we left off, which would be Romans chapter four, verse three. Would you look there with me? Romans four, three. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, we did notice this verse last week, we spent a little bit of time on it, the beautiful, famous verse, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse six, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse nine, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was 
circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Romans chapter 4 is a gift. It is a blessing. Uh, Let me explain in a few minutes more what I mean uh, by that. One of the things that we see repeatedly in Romans chapter 4, having already seen it repeatedly uh, and near the end of Romans chapter 3, is this emphasis on faith. Faith. The story is told of one sister who went through a great struggle before finding rest in Christ. She went through a great struggle before finding rest in Christ. And as the story goes, aware of her lost condition and trying to do everything that she could to keep herself from going to hell, she found herself losing ground. Here's what she said. I felt as if I were hanging on the edge of a precipice by my fingertips. Below me was hell. I didn't want to go to hell and had worked myself to exhaustion trying to keep from going to hell. Finally, I could hold on no longer. I let go and fell right into the loving arms of Jesus. Now, to be clear, this story does not represent what's sometimes uh, referred to in a phrase as just let go and let God, which can be actually unhelpful. But I think that this is helpful. The man who gives this story, Charles Leiter, he says this, and listen carefully. He says, justifying faith is not doing something. Justifying faith is not doing something. Rather, it is giving up on doing anything and simply falling on the mercy of God. It's not doing something. It's giving up on doing anything and instead falling on the mercy of God. Now, we're here at Romans chapter 4. And Paul helps us a lot. The way that Paul helps us is is that Romans chapter 4 is, in so many ways, a continuation of the same theme that he's already been talking about. And so my burden before God uh, must always be to to let what the Scripture says be be the burden of my message, of my sermon, and so it's, it's really straightforward. You don't have to go digging. You don't have to say, well, what, what's he getting at here? In chapter 4, it's the same thing that he started to develop in Romans 3, verse 21. Especially in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And then in Romans chapter 4, which if you're looking, you say, well, that leaves something out. It does, which would be, 27 through 31 of Romans chapter 3. So we do want to glance at that as well today. But the theme is this. It's justification by faith. It's it's salvation through the blood of Jesus. It's God declaring sinners righteous. Now many of you know the name of John Bunyan. You know the name of John Bunyan because his book is basically the second bestseller all time to the Bible, and it's the Pilgrim's Progress. Listen to John Bunyan's very brief testimony. We've heard one testimony already from a lady. Here's here's Bunyan's testimony as he's walking through his house. And the reason I share this is because this doctrine is so central, this truth of justification by faith 
that when it lands on you, Bunyan's not the only one or Luther's not the only one. But listen to him just as an example. As I was walking up and down in the house as a man in a most woeful state, he was miserable. That word of God took hold of my heart. Ye are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a turn it made upon me. Now was I as one awakened out of some troublesome sleep and dream and listening to this heavenly sentence, I was as if I had heard it thus expounded to me. So what's he saying so far? What's he saying? He said, I, the, the words of scripture came to my mind. You're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And he said, it changed everything in a moment. And he said, it was as though those words brought these words to mind. Sinner, you think that because of your sins and infirmities, I cannot save your soul. But behold, my son is by me, and upon him I look, and not on you, and will deal with you according as I am pleased with him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the substitute for sinners. He is the only substitute for sinners. And so as I say, uh, chapter 4 continues, and it helps us because, and I know I'm repeating myself from previous weeks, but it's been said that chapter 3, 21 through 26, verses 21 through 26 of chapter 3, it's been said it's the most important paragraph in the book of Romans. It's even been said it's the most important paragraph ever written. But it's also, it's at, at least at first blush, at first glance, it's, it's, it's a tightly wound argument. In, in some ways, it's hard to understand, at least on the first go-round. But then he continues, and he continues to give it to us clearly and to unpack it for us, this truth of justification by faith. Now look at the text with me. Look at Romans 4, beginning in verse 1. And the first thing that I want us to see this morning, the first point is this, and that is boasting. Point number one, uh, boasting. Look at the text, Romans 4.1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. The first thing that we're thinking about this morning, the first point is boasting. And you see that word, the word boast there, uh, near the end of verse two. Look at it again. For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about. Now, a line could be drawn from verse two back to uh, chapter three, verse 27. Chapter 3, verse 27, Paul asks this question, of course, on the heels of what is the most important paragraph in the whole book, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Boast, 4-2. Boasting, 3-27. The idea is this, it is that the truth of justification by faith 
that God receives sinners and that God declares sinners righteous regardless of if you're a Jew or a Gentile, not by anything that we do, but falling on the mercy of God, this truth is the end of boasting. The truth, the doctrine, as it has been called at some points, the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, the truth of justification by faith spells the end of boasting. Now, if you're a Christian, you can boast. You can boast only in that instrument of torture. If you're a Christian, you can boast in the cross of Christ and only in Jesus Christ. But other than that, there is no boasting. Where is boasting, he says? It's excluded. It's excluded. Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali was well known for his bantering and his humorous boasting, which was really funny at times. And sometimes he would have a witty person who would, who would answer him and put him to shame in his braggadocious ways. But even if it's funny sometimes, if we brag knowing what we're doing, there is a sense, not only a sense, but justification by faith levels the ground so that there is no boasting. The old hymn says, listen, no more, my God, I boast no more of all the duties I have done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy son. Yes, and I must and will esteem all things but loss for Jesus' sake. Oh, may my soul be found in him and of his righteousness partake. The best obedience of my hands dares, dares not appear before thy throne, but faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. Are you this morning, are you like the Apostle Paul? As this song says, have you quit the hopes that you held before to trust the merits of the Son? Not your own merits, not our own merits. This is the end of boasting. By the way, we keep talking about justification by faith, and let's be sure that we understand what we're talking about. Let's not, let's not assume a definition if, if from Romans 3.21 to Romans 4.25, if he is unpacking this truth, then, then what is it? Here's a definition for you. It is the gracious act of God the Father, the gracious act of God the Father through the perfect work of Jesus Christ, whereby I have been pardoned and made right before God where I have been pardoned and made right before God through Jesus Christ. The second point this morning is this, and it is faith. Faith. Now, it's interesting if you'll notice again that we said that a line could be drawn from verse 2 back to verse 27 of the previous chapter as we talked about boasting, the first point. But it's kind of cool what Paul does. He gives us 25 verses in chapter 4, but before he gives us 25 verses, of course, it wasn't divided up into chapters or verses at that point. But before he moves into this section in what we know is verses 27 through 31, he says three things about faith in 27 through 31. I want you to notice this quickly. He says three things about faith 
that then he basically spends the rest of chapter 4 unpacking and expanding upon those things. Remember that it's not a matter of if you're a person of faith. What matters is the object of your faith. What matters is the trustworthiness of your faith. What matters is that do you believe that Jesus Christ, listen to me, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Apart from that, our faith is foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, first of all, he said in 27 through 31 that he says faith has excluded all boasting. We saw that in verse 27. But then in verse 28, which goes with Romans 4, 3 through 8, he says it's by faith and not by works. This goes with Romans 4, 3 through 8, but he first of all uh, establishes this point in verse 28. Look there with me. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It is not by works of the law. It's, it, it's not, as he's going to talk about Abraham, it's not because Abraham uh, kept the law of Moses. The law of Moses didn't even exist at the time of Abraham. It's not according to the law of Moses. It's also not according to works in general. You see, it's not by anything that you do. But if you're thinking, you may say, well, okay, I hear you saying it's not by anything that you do. And hopefully you've heard and you've seen that instead of doing, it's by believing and by trusting. You say, well, isn't that in one sense something that you do? Uh, isn't believing, is it? Well, I, I will grant you that in one sense. In one sense, it certainly is something that you do, but in another sense, it misses the point entirely. Because as Paul says, as he's going to say in verse 16 of chapter 4 in particular, the reason that faith alone is so important is that if it's not by faith, then it's not by grace. And with God, it's all of grace. It's either wrath uh, slash holiness or it's grace. And he is a God of wrath, and in his wrath, he shows mercy. So even though we're not looking at it right now, I'll just go ahead and tell you that verse 16 is key. Back in verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I've told you that that goes with verses three through eight of chapter four, and that's where I want to camp out for a few minutes. So since I'm going to camp out there, let me just go ahead and give you the third thing about faith that he says here in 27 through 31. It excludes boasting. It's faith, and it's not according to works. And the third thing that he says, that he gives us a great teaser, and then he unpacks it in chapter four, is that this faith should bring Jew and Gentile together before the one God. Is that we should be concerned about the unity of our church. Hey, by the way, the book of Romans, God help us to be a missionary church. And God help us to be a unified church. Listen, it's been said before, these don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can be outward focused. The book of Romans in some ways helps us with these two things. Crossway church, we can, God help us, we can be outward focused. We can have a missionary spirit. We can be a missionary church. And that's not at odds with paying careful attention. I hope you pay careful attention. I hope you, as an individual unit, as an individual member, I hope you are concerned for the unity of this church. That's what he's addressing in the book of Romans. The unity of the church 
Jew and Gentile, through Jesus Christ, because we all come by faith, none of us can boast, and we can take this message to the world. In verse 29, he says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. You see that there in 330? Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law? His argument to this sometimes bickering church at Rome composed of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, his argument is that because God is one and because we all come by the same way, by grace through faith, not according to our merits, not according to our works, but God is one, and therefore Jew and Gentile should be one. And then he unpacks that in 9 through 12. Now take a breath. Don't worry, we're not looking at all of chapter 4 today. I want us to look at 3 through 8 for a few minutes. Look with me at verses 3 through 8, and we'll take this in reverse order. You know, blessed or blessing is one of those uh, religious words or church words. You read it, and here it is uh, four times in this passage. You say, well, I can just kind of, I know what that means. You know, that's, I know that's a word that's famous or common in the Bible. But let's not just skim over it. Notice in verse 6, it says, just as David also speaks of the blessing Notice that, the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then notice in verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? So it's 6 and 9 are bookended or bracketed with this word blessing. But then, of course, in verses 7 and 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. How are you doing this morning? Perhaps you might identify with what I read, if you remember earlier, from John Bunyan. As he was walking up and down in the house as a man in a most woeful state. I think it's safe to say that Bunyan had a decent knowledge of Scripture at this point. He wasn't totally new to the Christian faith, but the knowledge that he did have only served to remind him of his sin. He was in a most woeful state. Don't gloss over this. Particularly what I mean when I say don't gloss over this, listen to me, is, is the fourfold repetition of six through nine, blessing, blessed, blessed, blessing. Are you interested in true joy and true happiness? Oh, no, we never water down the message uh, to appeal to the masses. No, but it says what it says. It says David speaks of the blessing. Look, look closely at verses 7 and 8. In verses 7 and 8, by the way, he's bringing up David. He's still talking about Abraham. Abraham is the main human focus of chapter 4. God, of course, is the main focus. And in verses 7 and 8, he brings in David for just a minute, and he brings in Psalm 32. 
And in Psalm 32, we see that David had been running from the Lord. He had been hiding his guilt. And then finally, he says, freely, I confess my sin to you. And now David is, is really happy. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I wonder why Paul included this here from Psalm 32. Perhaps it has to do with when he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then you glance back at verse three, which is from Genesis 15, six, from the life of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, in justification, you don't become not a sinner. When God declares you righteous, listen carefully, he does it in an instant, through faith, by his grace. In justification, what justification is not, justification is not God making you righteous, as though we could envision God reaching inside and, and changing you and making you righteous. No, that happens for every true Christian many times slowly and gradually over the course of his life. But in justification, it is an instantaneous declaration, you are righteous. Not because any of us have any righteousness of our own to bring to the table, but we are righteous as we are counted righteous in Christ. We are counted righteous in Christ. He declares us righteous, although we are still sinners. You may remember we mentioned briefly last week about Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul said, if he has stolen from you, if he has robbed you in any way, then charge it to my account. The good news of the gospel is that in Adam, we are sinners. Our sin through grace has been charged to the account of Jesus Christ. Christ's righteousness through his cross has been counted or reckoned to us. That word is all over chapter four. Count or reckon, it means imputed. The blessing, the blessing, fourfold blessing here in six through nine, the blessing is imputed righteousness. He quotes Psalm 32 and seven and eight to say, man, this is the happy man. This is the happy man. The man whose sins are covered. The man whose sins are not counted against him. The blessed, the happy man is the man who has the non-imputation of his sins. And uh, Paul goes a bit further in verse six. He says, not only is it the non-imputation of your sin, your sins are covered. They're not counted against you. Not only is it negative, but it's also positive. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. It's the great exchange, as we've said. It's double imputation. It's he takes my sin, I take his righteousness. How? How? Romans 5, 6 and Romans 5, 8. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, you will not get this. You will not rejoice the way that you should unless you see that you are ungodly. He came to justify the ungodly. On what basis? On what grounds? Because Christ died for the ungodly. If God justifies the ungodly and Christ doesn't die for the ungodly, then it's an abomination. 
It's not an abomination because of Romans 5, 6, and 8. Christ died for the ungodly. Therefore, the cross shows the justice of God and the love of God. And the love of God. You know, last week we spent a a few minutes on verse 5. And I just want to remind you quickly that that is justly famous verse. It really doesn't get more clear than verse 5. But you know, verse 5 intentionally comes on the heels of verse 4 not just because it's the next verse, but because those two verses go together. I want you to notice that for just a moment. And I want you to think about this picture with me. If you had a, uh, let's say you had a job where you work uh, Monday through Friday and at your particular job, your boss, your employer is there on late afternoon on Friday and it's the custom of this company for the boss to hand you your paycheck. And so just like uh, week in and week out, uh, of course, all of this, as, as we don't even have to say, it assumes that an arrangement has been made. An arrangement's been made by the company with uh, the employees of the company. And that arrangement, of course, is that you do this job, you work this amount of hours, you get this pay. And so you go at the, it's, it's late uh, in the afternoon on Friday, and this is just normal, this is what happens at your company and the And the boss says, "Uh, I got something for you today. You're thinking, man, that's great. You know, because I could use a raise and and I could use a little extra. You're clearly thinking that he's got something for me. But I got something. He hands you the envelope and it's your paycheck. And it's your paycheck for the hours that you worked, for the exact hours that you worked, for what you had already uh, implicitly or explicitly agreed to do. That's, That's not a gift. That's not grace. That's that's what's been agreed upon. That's that's what you've earned. You don't have anything for me. I've done my duty. I haven't shirked my job. This is my paycheck. Look at verse four. Look at it. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Let me share one more thing with you. I think it illuminates it. I think it's so helpful. Again, from Lighter. What do you think about this older man? One older man who gave no evidence of true conversion when he was asked if he was ever bothered by the thought of eternity. Did the thought of eternity ever bother you? No, I'm not bothered at all. Because the Bible says if you have faith, you'll be saved. And I have plenty of faith. He says this, and what was this man trusting? And what was this man trusting? It doesn't sound terrible on the face of it. But this man was not trusting in Christ or his blood, but in his own faith. The trust of a Christian is entirely different. If suddenly the floor were to drop out from under all of us at this moment, every true Christian would cry out, Lord Jesus. No true Christian would say, my faith. Faith is not navel-gazing. Faith is not endlessly year after year saying, did I do it right? Faith is looking outside of yourself. Faith is finally coming to see that you are a sinner under the just wrath of God. 
and that anything that you can do only compounds your problem. And faith is falling on the mercy of God. To the one who works, what is verses four and five talking about? I think it's talking about motivation. You see that? To the one who, to the one who wants to be in good with God, to the one who wants to have right standing with God, at least let me do something. We're proud. At least I don't take handouts. At least I gotta do something. This is sheer grace because of the cross, because God put forward Jesus Christ as a propitiation by his blood. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. Listen, and I close, listen. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. Let us pray together. Father, help us in this matter of faith. May our faith rest firmly on Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Help us in this matter of boasting. Lord, help us to see the blessedness of the man to whom you do not count sin, but instead you count righteousness through faith. Thank you that it is all of your grace. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.